Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the LaxRecords.com podcast, episode 24. This is going to be a very full week as I actually have four different guests on for this week. So we're actually going to, um, the theme of this week is basically the, the 400 Club. Anybody who read my story on LaxRecords.com earlier this week knows that Nikki Solomon from Centennial High School in Georgia reached the 400 Point Club, which ended up being the 71st player to reach that mark, which is quite an achievement considering how many athletes play this sport even on a yearly basis, much less in the, the lifetime of the sport. So we're actually going to get to him. Uh, we have uh, his head coach, Brian Wallace, who obviously coached his brother, Nathan Solomon, who's having a fantastic year at Syracuse as a freshman and also scored more than 600 points in his career. And then I'm actually going to talk to Carthage head coach, Kirk Vinciquatro, because he has coached five players in his career that have reached the 400-point club. So I thought, you know, who would be better expert to talk about what it takes to be that kind, reach that kind of level of success than the guy who's coached the most players on that list. So, but first this week, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about Trevor uh, Pachorki. I think I mispronounced that right. Pachorki, uh, sorry, sorry, Trevor, uh, from Severna Park. He was last week's player of the week. Uh, Severna Park is having a really fantastic season. They won their last 15 games, uh, 17 games of last season, winning the Maryland Class 4A, 3A state championship. And then they've started uh, at this point, they were 8-0, and they actually kind of avenged their only two losses from last season last week by beating uh, Severn School out of the MIAA A conference and also beating that conference opponent, Archbishop Spalding. So those were the only two losses for Severna Park last year, and they kind of avenged him. Trevor scored uh, six goals in the win over Severn on April 13th, and then he had two goals over the win of Archbishop Spalding. So not only is it significant that they avenged two losses from last year, but uh, Severn School was a MIAA A conference semifinalist last year, and they were pretty highly nationally ranked coming into that game. Um, some polls had them in the at the top 20. I think there was one that had them in the top 15. So for Zerner Park, not only any you know, a lot for those who don't know the the Maryland public versus private debate is pretty much ongoing and will never end. So it's always interesting when you see the public schools rise up and kind of take on those opponents first, but then also beat them not only one but beat them both in a week because Spalding was expected to at least compete for a playoff spot this year and at least heading into the season it's it's looking for it's going to be a dogfight to get into that um that conference playoff so uh trevor's in like i said he scored six against uh seven two against archbishop spalding had eight goals for the week eight points so we're going to go um before we get into the interview with him just kind of like he's committed to umbc and so far this season at least through um the stats i have right now he has 37 goals and five assists this season and obviously they are riding a 25 game winning streak to boot so we're going to get right into the interview with trevor right now Let's talk about the the Severn and Spalding games. Um, last year, you guys started the year by losing to both of those teams, and then now you've won, I think, 20, 25 straight, and then, you know, since then. What was the difference between last year and this year in playing those teams? Uh, you know, I think this year, everybody's really bought into what we're doing. Uh, our effort and practice, I think it's just picked up since last year, and I think it's it's always something when you lose to a team and especially two teams like that and their rival high schools around here. Uh, you know, we've, we've been waiting for this 
opportunity to get back and get a little bit of revenge ever since last year. Yeah. And I know, you know, I, I, I'm, I've lived in Maryland many, many years and I know, you know, the, the public versus private debate and everything like that. So how big is it for, you know, Severna Park to beat, you know, Severn and Spalding who are both in the MIAA A conference? Yeah, I think it's huge for us. Uh, you know, we want to show that just because we are a public school, we can still compete with those MIA private schools. Yeah. And so talk about um, your game and like how, like, was it when you came into the, I think you guys played Spalding first, like when you, you came into the game, you know, what what were you kind of thinking? Like, what was the game plan? You know, we we got in there. Uh, we obviously didn't get off to the start we wanted to going down um, 5-0. But, you know, we, we kept ourselves composed. We stuck to our game plan, stuck with our matchups on defense, uh, packed in a little bit tighter. Uh, we definitely were a little bit slower to slide later in the game. And on offense, we just kept the same mentality, knowing that if we got the ball down there, we'd work it through our offense and score. Okay. Um, and so whenever you guys got down, like, what did, what did you change anything or did you just keep playing the same? Or, what, like, what was the, what was the mindset? Uh, on, on defense, we made some adjustments. Uh, I believe we changed our, our slide package a little bit. Um, on offense, you know, we kept the same mentality. We, you know, we just needed to execute a little bit better in uh, clearing the ball, and then once we got the ball on offense. And how about that Severn game? Uh, Severn game was huge for us. Uh, you know, it was a big game because we haven't beaten them in the last couple of years, and our senior, my senior class. Uh, it's been two years in a row we've gotten beat by them pretty bad. So we knew this is our last opportunity. So we really came out there fired up and got off to a really hot start. And how, what was the, you know, I know you, you talked a little bit about everybody's bought in, but what was the different, like, what, what's the difference? Because obviously Severn was a semifinalist in the MIAA a conference last year, and I think they're ranked as high as, like, top ten in some of the national polls this year. So they're obviously pretty good. So what was the difference um, either game plan-wise or just, you know, between you guys and them this year versus last year? Uh, I think this year we definitely prepped for them a lot. Uh, we had a pretty in-depth scouting report. Wanted to make sure on defense we had the right matchups set up, and then going through we would play to our strengths and try to expose some of their weaknesses. And on offense we just tried to keep the ball moving as fast as we could and get them out of position. Yeah. And on a, a personal note, like obviously – you're playing well this year. You played really well last year. But what you know, this is your your senior year. Has there have you noticed a difference or anything like that um, in your senior season so far? Uh, yeah, I definitely have. You know, being old on the older side now, uh, I definitely think that experience helps me. Being a little bit, uh, you know, more physically able than some of the younger kids, I definitely feel like it gives me a bit of an advantage. And uh, you know, for my senior year, I want to make sure I leave everything out on the field. Was did did you make any uh, adjustments or what did you work on anything specific over the summer? Uh yeah, definitely. I've tried to work on all parts of my game. Um, I I think this summer I really wanted to become a little bit of a better dodger and work on my offhand a bit. And how's that? How's that been working out so far this season? Uh, pretty well, pretty well. Definitely, definitely a lot. I feel a lot more comfortable with the ball in my stick with both hands, and especially when I'm going to the cage. And obviously, you guys defending um, 4A, 3A champs this year. I, I'm going to ask the dumb question. Assume you know there's there's nothing less than that on the on the docket for this year. But how nice is it for uh, you know to have that kind of winning streak attached to it? You know, going in especially to your final year. 
Uh, it's great. You know, I think it, it gives us a little bit of uh, confidence, but also makes a, a big, pretty big target on our back. So we want to take it one game at a time. And uh, like our coach says, it means every team's going to give it their all against us. So it really makes it a little bit more of a challenge, we think. Do you, do you, have you noticed the difference in maybe the way teams seem to approach you guys? Because obviously you guys are de- the defending champs. Um, have you noticed any difference between this year and previous years? And Yeah, d- definitely. Uh, you know, I think uh, the biggest the biggest game so far for us where we noticed that was Northeast, a team that usually we've been able to have a lot of success against. They were really fired up. They came out. They played hard from the first whistle to the very end. You know, th- teams are starting to treat us like one of their biggest games of the year. Is that, do you think, uh, does that help you guys prepare for that playoff mentality when, you know, so you get everybody's best week in, week out, and you're playing the best teams? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it, there's going to be no easy games for us this year. All right, everybody. Well, I want to thank Trevor again for taking a few minutes out of his day and weekend to, to talk with me about that. So uh, to continue on with the cavalcade of guests that we have this week, I'm going to talk with, you're going to hear a couple back-to-back interviews. First interview is going to be with uh, Nikki Solomon from Centennial and then his head coach, Brian Wallace from Centennial. Um, and this is significant because Nikki Solomon, who was a junior at Centennial and a UNC commit, scored 12 points in a win over Martin Luther King on April 14th. And those 12 points pushed him over the 400-point mark in his career which made him the 71st known player to reach that that milestone. Um, he has 117 points on the season, and as of the story on Tuesday, he had 409 career points. I mean, he, it, the the list of players that have reached that, um, it, it, it's kind of like a who's who of high school athletes. I mean, the, the, all, all the pals, Casey, Mikey, Ryan, Zed Williams has probably put the mark. I, I always hesitate to say where it can't be reached, but I mean, when you're talking about uh, 729 career points out of high school, that's a pretty significant. I mean, Justin Anderson at a Centennial at a Las Vegas Centennial, uh, who is actually at UNC now, um, has 632, and that's second. Uh, <laughs> just to show you, just the kind of disparity. I mean, almost a full hundred points away from Zed's career. I mean. Um, and you'll hear us talk about Nathan Solomon, Nikki's brother, in the next couple interviews. And Nathan has 623, which ranks third all time. I mean, only four players have reached the 600 mark. Nikki actually has a pretty good shot at reaching at least 600, assuming he stays healthy for the next uh, rest of this season and next season. And of course, it always depends on how far Centennial will go in the playoffs. Um, just to kind of give you a little bit more significance, if you go to laxrecords.com slash 400 club, that's 400 club, um, you'll, you'll see the story that I did because there's several uh, brothers, uh, groups of brothers, Casey, Mikey, and Ryan Powell, who are already mentioned, um, uh, are one, Devin and Daniel Sparks, who are twin brothers at a, a Concordia out of Fort Wayne. Indiana are the other set of brothers that actually both reached the 400 club. And then there's several teammates, I mean, uh, and players from the same schools. I mean, just adding on with the pals, Josh Kaufman, Thomas Grimm are both from Carthage. So Carthage High School out of New York has five players on the list that just done of themselves. I mean, it's the, it's the most of any school um, that is at, I mean, Centennial and now at a 
Georgia now has two. St. Andrews out of Florida has two. Grafton out of Massachusetts has two. Mystic Valley out of uh, Massachusetts has two. Um, obviously, Concordia out of Fort Wayne has two because they were twins and they both did it at the exact same time. A.L. Johnson out of New Jersey. Corning East out of New York. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. So if you go to uh, laxrecords.com slash 400 club, you also see the list of where do those players go to school? And it's pretty interesting because Syracuse leads the way by a pretty significant margin. They have 10 of the players on that list that have committed to the school. I did add, go ahead and kind of add Nikki Solomon onto the UNC total. So that kind of gives them three, which is tied for second with uh, <laughs> Duke, Maryland, um, UMass, and University of Virginia. So a lot of ACC schools on there as well. So you'll kind of get a little bit stuff. Plus, you'll get a couple uh, who's next. There's actually two more players that I'm aware of at this point that could reach the 400-point mark later this season so we'll kind of see how that goes and you know assuming you know health wise both players keep it uh they they should reach the record this year just based on their on their past history so it, it, you know it was a lot of fun for me to write that story and i think you know i'm biased obviously but i think it's a pretty good story and just kind of a good idea of how you know how significant that margin is so you know with i'm going to quit rambling on here and we're going to get to the interview with nikki solomon and then we'll go right into the interview with his head coach brian wallace at a centennial <laughs> What is that kind of landmark or plateau? What does it kind of mean to you personally? Um, I don't really like, I don't want to say I don't care about the number, but like, <laughs> I think it's like, I'd rather like win games and win a state championship than really care about like getting all the points for myself. I basically just try to help out the team. Yeah. And like the points will come, I guess, with like other players around me that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, yeah, it's cool to get like all these points, but like, I'm more for like focused on winning, yeah, as a team. And do you kind of see? Because I know you, you, you obviously you, each season you've had more assists than 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 goals each year. Do you kind of see that kind of feeding into that that kind of aspect? You know, you know, the assists kind of help the help other players score and get them open. Yeah, well, usually I create a double team or like they draw to me early, so other kids are wide open. I'd say. Mm-hmm. So I'm more of a feeder than a dodger. I'd say. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, what – obviously, it, it it must run in the family. I never actually asked your dad, like, did your dad play lacrosse? Or what's kind of the family's um, athletic background? Because, obviously, uh, you and your brother are pretty good. <laughs> my dad actually played soccer in college. And my mom, she's a good high school uh, softball player. And she's – yeah, in soccer. So my dad played college soccer. So how did you guys get into lacrosse? Oh, I, uh, there's a camp up the street from us at Newtown Park, and we knew, like, a couple people, and we just tried it out, and we liked it. <laughs> that, that was it? And what about what age was that? Four or five. Okay, so you got started, obviously, you got started really young then, so. It, it, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, just kind of growing up in, in Georgia, did you find it, did you find a pool? Because I know, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, and, you know, football and basketball are kind of king. Um, the further south you go, did you ever kind of find that pull to maybe not play lacrosse and play, you know, another one of the more, I guess, traditional big name sports? Well, I was always a soccer player. I used, I used to play travel soccer, and that was like my main sport, like all through up until like I'd say eighth grade. Yeah. And then my knees got really bad, and that yeah, I have like Oshkosh slaughter. So I was like, lacrosse is like pretty cool and fun. So I just wanted to keep going with it. And see what it would take me to. 
Right. That's actually kind of, you know, I guess, you know, I know soccer players run a lot, but, you know, a lot some people make fun, you know, because the midfielders, you, you don't, you run from certain sections of the field. So, you know, I think lacrosse players, you guys run seemingly a lot more. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind yeah. Of, yeah. Um, do you, do, have you kind of noticed, is there a translation from the soccer field to the lacrosse field as far as, uh, you know, athletic ability? Because obviously it's a little bit different skill set, you know, hand eye versus hand foot kind of thing. Yeah, I would say it's it's kind of similar. I played basketball too. It's basically like all the same thing. You always like find like the two on ones. Like if you can beat your guy, another person is going to be open. Or it's like riding. You always want to like force him to the outside and like make him go to the weak hand or something. So it's basically all like the same. Okay. Yeah, I guess basketball would translate a little bit, a little bit with the hand eye mm-hmm. coordination and the some of the moves and stuff like that would translate. Yes. That's good. Yes, um, you know, I you know, I know your dad. And he may have been joking, but in one of the emails we transferred back and forth, he said that you, you were gunning for Nate in his uh, in his record. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not. I haven't thought. I mean, I have thought about it. I always like to beat Nate and whatever we do, but I I'd rather win a state championship than beat Nate. Yeah, if you got to, because I guess he's he's got he's got the one in uh yeah. His he has one. Year, sophomore year they won or junior year? His sophomore year. Sophomore mm-hmm. year. So yeah, I was before you got there too. The head. <laughs> so, yeah. But you guys before. are playing well this year. Talk a little bit about um, the team and how how they fared. Uh, Centennial. Yeah. Um, we've all played together since we were like in fifth grade, so it's like this this year is like all of our friends. We're all like best friends outside of the cross, and we've played together. For like a long, long time, and we just like love each other and been playing together for a really long time. Yeah, what's the? What, I I got to watch the the Lambert game, which obviously you know probably not the best game nah. you know, example yeah. for you guys to watch. But you know, I think I was talking to Coach Wallace afterwards. I was like, you, you you do learn a lot in a loss, and you know, it's much better to take that in what the fourth or fifth game of the regular season than once you get to the playoffs. Um, and you guys have been playing really well since then. Obviously, yeah, down mm-hmm. to Florida and beat uh, St. Andrews and. I think it was at Lasseter that you guys beat. I always get yeah, Lasseter. Um, yes, sir. But so you guys have played really well. Like, what did you guys kind of take away from from that Lambert loss that's kind of helped you out? Um, Lambert was really early on in the season. We have like a weak region, so we played our region games first. So we didn't really mm-hmm. have like a, a like people to play against yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say most of our like we have we have a lot of hurt players that like torn their ACL and something. We're basically like playing, I guess, for them. Because, like, we, like, need, like, play, like, people to step up and everyone's stepping up as much as, like, they can and need to. Yeah. So, I'd say we'd, like, we don't, like, we're doing, we're playing easy instead of, like, more difficult. Right. Like, we used to, like, be, like, the cool guys and try to, like, make it more difficult than it needs to be. But now, like, our offense is going well and we're not doing too much on it. Yeah. Um, talk we're about playing- your goalie, like he was one of the guys that really impressed me in that Lambert game, and I know he's had a number of um, stellar games since since then. Eric, you know, this what have you seen out of him this season? Oh, Eric is a we call him the wall. He's a brick wall. He's going to Siena. He's really good. He's uh, I would say one of the best goalies in Georgia. Does he it? Is, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you go. I, I was done. No, I was gonna say, you know, it's got it's got to help him out a lot to see like you and Ryan and the offensive weapons that, that Centennial has. <laughs> like that's got to help him out, you know, to see that yeah. practice. Yeah, we uh, we don't, but we don't not 
try our hardest in practice. We usually shoot as hard as we can at Eric, and yeah, he gets mad at us, but he's <laughs> he likes it. Like me and like Ryan and Colin go up to like the high school on like days off, and we shoot on Eric all the time, and he he's pretty good. Yeah, because it helps us out too. Yeah, I'm sure it's got to help you guys see. You know, you're playing a a, a top flight goalie to be able to get that kind of look and and see what you're going to be facing game in game. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys are kind of, you know, finishing up the regular season. You know, what do you guys feel like the biggest team improvement um, has been since this since the start of the season? Um, I would say our defense is playing good. We have a new coach, Liam Burns, the guy from Marquette. Mm-hmm. He's been helping our defense out a lot because they we like we always have a weak not we don't always have a weak defense, but we always like known as a weak defense. And I'd say they've been stepping up some more. And uh, our offense is putting up some numbers more, right. like, like usual, I'd say. All right, and right, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back to the points thing for for kind of the, the wrap up because I asked Nathan this question. It was after he had finished his career, so he had a little bit uh, perspective. But you know, when I mentioned the guys like you know the Ryan Powell's and the Casey Powell, like I think there's three. All three Powell brothers are up on it. You know, I was actually doing some research on some players and teammates that our brothers and teammates that are on the list, like what does it kind of mean to be on that kind of list with, with your brother and, you know, you got to play with him for a season as well. And you know, what's it kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of list and with George and on put Georgia on the map. Um, I personally just want to spread Georgia lacrosse. I think it's getting better. And like being on the same list as like Nate and I think Mikey Powell is up there. Yeah. Casey. Uh, Mikey, Ryan and Casey are all, uh, up yeah, there. all of them. Those guys are like the face of lacrosse. So like you want to be like them or they're like idols basically. And having your name like near them is pretty cool. You've gotten the chance to coach both Nathan and Nikki Solomon. So first, are there any similarities between the two players playing style? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, definitely they all, I mean, in terms of just the, the ease with which they play the game, you know, I think it's just the passion that they have that, um, you know, they, they just make, they do things in practice, you know, and, and most of the guys, you know, can't see what's going on. But I mean, in games, obviously they do some stuff, you know, you saw that, that goal in the St. Andrews game where he just picks one up and rips it over his shoulder. And, yeah. but you know, um, the ability and, and the ease of which they just play, you know, I mean, like everybody um, is out there doing their thing and it's kind of like Nate and Nick here in the matrix. They, they are just so in control of what's going on. Um, around them and the ability that they have to do things and see things and make people around them better. That is just, it, it has to be an eight because I don't, I've never seen it in anybody else. I've been doing this for a pretty long time. Yeah. And so how are they, how are they different? Um, well, Nate is definitely, um, you know, more of the aggressor in terms of, um, uh, you know, trying to get to the goal and make things happen and taking on double and triple teams. And Nikki, um, is a little bit more refined in terms of trying to stay away and, and um, you know, maybe not take as much punishment as Nate did. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Nikki's definitely a better, you know, in terms of being in high school, a much better shooter and finisher overall than Nate was. Nate was definitely, you know, um, an in-tight guy, which I think you're starting to see, uh, you know, at Syracuse, he's developing an outside shot, but that's coming with a lot of, a lot of coaching and, and whatever else. But, um, I mean, in terms of the way that they play the game, um, they both go hard and they just, they both play hard. They love to ride, you know, in practice and stuff. When we're doing West Jenny drills and stuff like that, they would rather play defense than score goals. And it's just fun to watch those guys get up and down. And I think it's probably an innate love of basketball that they've both had for such a long time. 
Yeah, I got that too. When I was talking to Nikki, I asked him, you know, what, what's the uh, the family lineage? Like, you know, just kind of, you know, rarely do you see, you know, athletes of their caliber that comes from a non-athletic background. I guess, you know, they right. both played sports, but neither were a cross player. So I was like, oh, right. cool. you guys both found that sport. Um, mm-hmm. and they're able to play it at such a high level. So, you know, how long, I know we, we were with LB3, so, like, did they mm-hmm. come up within that that um, program as well? Uh, yeah, they did, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, they first started in middle school um, playing over at Newtown Rec, which is just the local uh, kind of spot around the corner. And, um, you know, they fortunate enough where we started, kind of started our club, they were starting to come up in, uh, you know, late middle school, um, you know, uh, before high school. So, I mean, when Nate was a freshman, that was my first year at Centennial. So we kind of came in together, but I had known him through LB3 for two previous years before that. So I had known him since he was in seventh grade and Nikki was in fifth grade um, because Nikki ended up staying back a year yeah. in terms of, uh, of doing an extra year in eighth grade just because of his uh, his dyslexia in terms of, you know, getting his parents wanted to make sure he was a, a good fit for school. Right. So. Yeah, you got to be ready for the academic part before. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so you know, now that like I was kind of pulling some, you know, you sent me the, the games played and stuff like that, and I just found it. Yep. You know, Nikki's got a pretty decent shot at, at catching at catching Nathan um, point wise for his career. Now, you know, I guess Nathan only played sixteen games his freshman year. Um, yeah, he got he got hurt on our Florida trip, so he missed the two Florida games on our spring break trip. He got cussed, and uh, when we got back from spring break, he was back and going again. So we were only we didn't make the playoffs that year, um, so we were a little short on on points for him. But I, I, he definitely made up for it, obviously. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He made uh, that hundred eighty nine. That's one of, I think the top top five, at least top ten all yep. time. You know, just I mean that that's your. You're scoring in bunches mm-hmm. <laughs> at that yep. point in time. Um, yep. You know, looking at that, like just w- as a coach, what's it like to coach? You know, obviously they overlapped a little bit, but what's it like to mm-hmm. coach players of this this caliber? They're just you know pretty much so dominant, uh, able to take a game over and kind of put everybody. Yeah, over. I mean, it, to be honest, it's really nice to have the ability to know that you have a, a kid um, or two that can share the understanding of, you know, what it's like to be a coach, what it's like to have played at the highest level and what you're trying to accomplish for, you know, your team, your goals, individually, what you want, you know, hope guys to do. And, and, you know, their coaches on the field, they, you know, they, not only do they have the biggest smile every time they're on the field. I mean, that's one thing that they definitely shares. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think these kids have had a bad day in their life ever. I mean, you know, <laughs> they, they are always smiling. They're always having fun, but um, you know, they just love to compete. They love to get after it. And, um, you know, when they're on the field, like it's, it's like, you know, it's like you'd think I had a headset and I was talking to them individually to tell them what to do, but they just get it. You know, they see what's going on. They understand the sport. They understand other sports. They have such a high IQ. They watch a lot of film. They watch a lot of games. Um, and they've, they've, you know, patterned themselves after really good players in terms of guys like John Zaberti and Liam Banks that have, you know, been with them just as long as I have in terms of the innate ability to understand lacrosse and the very high IQ players. And you know, what's it like? Cause I'm sure, you know, when, when Nathan was playing, I'm sure now with Nikki gets after I got a chance to talk with him, like teams gotta be gunning for them. Like, I mean, they, they know, like at this point, mm-hmm. they didn't know early on with Nate, like they, they figured it out pretty soon. And obviously, you know, I'm sure Nikki probably got it maybe coming right out of the gate just because of what his brother had done before him. So you know, yep. teams are gunning for these guys. Like, how are they able to just, you know, still like whenever, when you're the target, 
How are they still able? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have schemed and planned a lot. We understand a lot of people want to try to shut off. They want to try to do certain things. They want to go after them, you know, and try to maybe even hurt them sometimes to kind of take them out of their game or whatever. And those guys have never really, you know, bought into that. You know, they just I, – I can play. You know, every time the ball goes off the end line, I'll get my chance. You know, they're not so hungry and so ego-driven that they don't understand that they are part of the team and the, the game flows with or without them. And, you know, they're going to do their part no matter what it is. So, you know, if Nicky's getting shut off or doing whatever and he knows that, you know, he can go ride or he can run through the midfield a little bit and do some things for us. I mean, there's there's just not no telling them no in terms of, you know, what they can do on the field to help our team win um, at any cost. And, and maybe it's not their day to score goals. So maybe it's their day to ride. Maybe it's their day to, to play some wing on the midfield and scoop up the ground balls know that they're going to draw double teams and understand, you know, how we can win if they don't, if they're maybe not, you know, having the best day or maybe not putting up 12 points a game like they seem to do all the time. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope everybody's still with me today. Uh, so next, the the final interview, you know, I, I was trying to think, you know, uh, OK, we've we've got a couple players, you know, the most recent guy and his head coach that has coached two of the most recent players that have reached the 400 club. But I kind of wanted to add a little bit something, try to add a little bit of context on what it means. And after, again, looking at the story and seeing that, you know, Carthage had the most players from any high school uh, on the list, I, I reached out to Kirk uh, Veniquatro, the head coach who started the program in 1988, and just had to talk with him about, you know, kind of what it takes to reached 400 points and just kind of what kind of athletes and he, he shares some fun stories about Casey Powell what he was like as a freshman um, he also does not share a story that I'm pretty well dying to hear but you know respect the fact that he doesn't want to share it uh, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of background uh, coach has been as one 436 games as the head coach and he sent me the list of their updated stats through the 2016 season. And it, it's just an impressive list. Obviously, you know, Casey, Mike, and Ryan um, all dot the list. Thomas Grin's on here. Uh, Josh Kaufman's on here. Um, all of those guys uh, went on to play at Syracuse. I mean, there's there's just a who's who. And, I mean, you look at um, the a number of All-Americans. You know, I'm looking at like uh, 10 or 12 All-Americans that he's coached. Um, several academic all I mean, we could literally have another podcast on just what has uh, he, he has done while as the head coach at Carthage. But I'm going to let you tell him himself. So we're on to the interview with Kirk Vinicuatro, the head coach at Carthage. What is it um, about maybe your style of play that just kind of, or, you know, maybe it's just the talent in, in Carthage in general, but what do you think it is that kind of has allowed players from your program to, to reach that level of success? Well, well, First of all, the, the guys who have reached that level are were were very good across players. I mean, just talented overall athletes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it, it starts there. You know, like it does with everybody's 400 point score. Right. And then uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, our our offense. The way the way we run offense is, um, you know, if you can't stop our number one guy, you're going to get him until you can. So you know, it lends itself for these guys to score a lot of points. Um, just our style, um, you know, we just, we're, uh, you know, I always say we're not an equal opportunity offense, man. You know, you got your job, you got your responsibility. And uh, if you're our best feeder, you're going to have the ball and every time the ball goes out of bounds. And, um, and that's, uh, you know, um, we've always done. Yeah. So. 
Um, the kids get a lot of opportunity, I guess. Right. You know, so, and we seldom over the years have ever allowed our kids to score more than 19 points in a game. Um, so it's not like they're tacking them on. I remember once having a, we're playing a team called Lowville, uh, a local team up in our league. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they're a four or five year program and, uh, it's the start of the second quarter. And, uh, Mike Powell already has, uh, 10 goals or rather it was nine, whatever it was. I said, Mike I said, uh, Hey, I said, I can let you go back in there and score one more. And uh, he said, no, I don't want, no, I don't want to do it against Lauvo, you know. So I, I guess my point being um, that uh, these these guys are scoring a lot of points in some pretty big games, and it's not all tack-on time. In fact, I, I like to pull my kids out early and tell them, hey, you know, you get you get your points uh, against JD or you get your points against Skinny Atlas, you know. That's that's when you you you, you show me how good of a player you are. So so these kids are um, exceptional. And it was never a, a case of stat padding or, or um, you know, allowing them to go and chase after something. Right. That was just happening in the natural course of, of Cartridge Lacrosse. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, th- there's so many factors that have to go into a player, you know, reaching that, you know, between staying healthy and just having the opportunity. Like, what do, what do you yeah. see? Like, how do you kind of see, like, the – the stars and moons aligning to kind of create that perfect storm to allow a player to, to reach that level? Well, uh, for one thing, if Jason Kaufman, who isn't on the list, if he came along in the progression of Cartridge across a little bit further down the road instead of being our pioneer, uh-huh. he would be on the list. I mean, he's the all-time leading scorer in NCAA history. Jason Kaufman from mm-hmm. Salisbury, all levels, uh, you know. So, um you know, it, things didn't work out for him. Thomas Grimm, as a, for instance, was a 400-point guy. Mm-hmm. And if he hadn't had an ACL injury, uh, like the last practice of his uh, of his uh, sophomore year uh, playing football, then he definitely would have gone on and uh, – I, I say definitely. He had a chance to break then Casey's state record of 553 points right but injuries set thomas back so um so it is a a variety of factors another thing that happens at carthage that that doesn't happen at a west jenny or at a jamesville duet because of their the the number of kids they have in the program at a younger level is when my kids um when my kids are ready they come up they come up to varsity it's not like uh you know, um, we've got uh, 20 kids in the class. Oftentimes, we'll have uh, you know five or six seniors in a class, oh. and so you got to dip deep. So Casey Powell, for instance, had 45 and 45 as a freshman, mm-hmm. um, and he played the lefty side because I didn't have a natural lefty. And I think you know Casey weighed you know probably 120 pounds at the time. <laughs> he was fortunate enough to be playing with with Jason Goffman, right. and uh, you know Jason could score. So he'd be on the end of your assist, and Jason, would you get you the ball when you know when your position scored too? Yeah. So uh, you know that's also a determining factor for us is sometimes the kids get a chance to play um, four years. Right. So you know for the program, like, what's it just kind of mean for the program to have? I mean, these guys are legends, like, and I'm sure you know people. You know, they're still talked about uh, on campus for the people that, are, that saw them play back in the day. But, like, what's it like for the program to have guys like 
you know, Casey, Mike, Ryan, Kaufman, you know, Thomas Grimm as, you know, members that, you know, people look, look back on, you know, kids that now can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, they, they came from here, you know, kind of give them like, because, you know, I find that kids usually look for the people that they can relate to and seeing someone from their school kind of achieve these levels of success and go on to college and things like that. It makes it a little bit easier. It's a little bit more tangible. But when they sit in the coaches middle school back when, uh, you know, I was still teaching there and the sixth grader sitting in the gym over my right shoulder is a, uh, a bigger than like poster of Casey Powell that, uh, that, uh, the, when he was captain America the first time when he played for the USA team, that they used at the national lacrosse convention, they gave that post to the Casey and he shipped it to me and the school allowed me to put it up. So it's been on the wall. So these kids get a chance to, there's a poster of Casey there. There's a poster of uh, Ryan Powell there. There's even a smaller Dix ad uh, with my son who played for Ohio State there. And I tell the kids, I said, hey, you know, these guys sat where you sat and listened to me tell them that if they worked hard, they could accomplish great things, not just in lacrosse, mm -hmm. but in life. And, uh, you know, we didn't even have junior high lacrosse until Casey was in eighth grade. That's how... Um, how advanced Casey became so quickly. Yeah. And the first time he could play competitive lacrosse was as an eighth grader. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Especially considering you said he scored 90, 90 points in his freshman year. Like he obviously was, you know, obviously we know now he's a pretty talented athlete, but I'm sure then you might've been <laughs> a little bit of a surprise just to see someone. Uh, uh, yeah. There's, there's a, there's a story that I won't tell, you know, <laughs> just because it, it could make somebody, it would make somebody look uh, like a buffoon. But uh, there was a person or two out there who didn't believe Casey was going to be who Casey was. And, of course, if you didn't take the opportunity to, to, to take Casey Powell, then chances are uh, Ryan and Mike didn't follow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I could tell Casey was an exceptional athlete. I, his mother's got a – she filmed a, a sixth-grade uh, intramural uh, end-of-the-year uh end of the year program they had at the West Carthage Elementary. And uh, I introduced Casey as my intramural athlete of the year, you know, as a young 24, 25 year old guy. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I said, Hey, this kid's going to be a superstar in something. I just don't know what it is yet. And lo and behold, uh, <laughs> he, he certainly made me a, a soothsayer. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you, you kind of mentioned Casey, you know, in his, you know, at one point, he was the first guy to, to ever break 500. Do you remember what was that, what that was like? Because obviously, you know, there's 70 some, you know, uh, 400. You, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, uh, that's not something that, uh, you know, that we would celebrate. You know, I mean, um, and I guess, uh, you know, I'm so caught up in, in what we're trying to do as a team that, uh, you know, some of these guys' individual accomplishments didn't really play in, didn't play into anything I was doing mm -hmm. as a coach. Um, but uh, I, I've had parents tell me before, you know, hey, you know, uh, you know, we know, you know, because I have, I sent you my records, right? Yes, you did. Yeah. And, and people say, wow, you know, that's, that's impressive. I, I can't believe it. Well, I started the program and I was a numbers guy coming from baseball. <laughs> and I remember being a, a young, a, a young athlete and seeing my name in the paper the first time and how important that was to me and how, uh, how cool it made me feel. And then at the end of my top Warner season, getting a, uh, um, you know, my old Pop Warner coach, uh, Ben Renzi, and then Dave O'Brien gave me all of my articles and, and all of the stats, you know, everybody. 
yeah. all of the stats for the season and, and like, man, this is cool. This was like being a big deal. So that's something that I, that I wanted to instill in the program was was a record keeping. And then once again, little did I know that some of these kids were going to their numbers were going to equate to <laughs> some of the best players to ever played a game. To right. Be honest. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you mentioned it because I I was a you know I grew up in North Carolina I grew up you know baseball was my my first sport my schools did not have a lacrosse program I found lacrosse much later uh, in, in life but it was when it was like when I started doing it like I kind of was attracted to you know that that stat portion that was why I started a lax record site because some I think someone when I was with ESPN someone asked me like hey who who you know who scored the most points in the season I was like I don't know uh, let me go find <laughs> out and it's kind of like, right. Right. That's basically the the genesis of it so it's fun for me to kind of come from that and you know i think it's cool. like same for you like it's just kind of cool to see that stuff and you know to, you got to see your name and you know it was, it was a small thing but it made it kind of fun and you know i, I you know even players now like guys that have played before like, long past they're like oh that's really cool you know i didn't know at the time right um you know it's just kind of fun like i was talking to nikki glasso who um obviously his brother nathan's at syracuse but he was saying, he's like, you know, just to have your name kind of mentioned alongside, like, you know, the Powell's and all these guys, it's just, it's, it's cool. Like, it's just kind of yeah, yeah. one of those, one of those neat things. Well, it made me every time, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't anything more than a, than a, a good high school athlete, but, you know, my dream was always to be big time, you know, and to see mm-hmm. these kids go out and, and do this, it's like, you know, I, I, I being ear to ear, you know, um, for instance, um, I was just telling somebody about this. <clears throat> Last week, I had three, two weeks ago, I had three players who were either their school's uh, athlete of the week and or their conference athlete of the week. Uh, one was at Canton Tech, one was at uh, Genesee Community College, and the other one is at, um, uh, who's the third one, what? Um, <clears throat> well, let's see, Canton, Genesee, well, but anyway, the the whole my whole point to this person was they're where they can be successful and that's what I'm most proud of is yeah. that uh, you know that our kids are, are are going places like those guys went to Syracuse and were successful like Jason went to Salisbury because I I love when a kid goes to a place where he can be successful no matter what the name on the jersey is mm-hmm. he's where he, he's he's uh, he's contributing and he's learning and he's and he's going through the college experience anyway that's Right. So. Yeah, and I mean, is that is that something you instill in your your players at, at a young age? Because obviously, I know people get caught up in the recruiting angle, but I think that's an important lesson. You know, you know, don't don't get caught up in that. Go to where you're going to be. You have the best chance for you to succeed. Yes, I mean that that's my message. Now, you know, I mean, lacrosse has certainly changed since uh, um, even changed between my first son, who was recruited, went through the process for 2002. He graduated. In, and then my son Mario, who went through the process in 2006. I mean, the game, the, the recruiting game changed so much in those four years. And prior to that, you know, I I I know that Kenny Nims and and uh, and um, Dan Hardy were really the first two sophomores that everybody in the country knew. Uh, sat in John Deskel's office and committed to him as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and from that point on, it got it's. It, and I'm so happy that they're, they're changing the. Uh, the, the the rules and, and moving it up at least to the end of the sophomore year so yeah yeah i agree i think that that's a that's a good move on there and i you allow allow the kids a little get get some of the pressure off some of the kids you know but, but i remember how excited my guys were but how excited casey ryan josh and josh Coppin and these guys when 
July 1st came and they're sitting at home waiting on the phone and kids don't get to experience that anymore. I mean, that's, that's gone. You know, they're committing before anybody has any idea whether they're going to be the next Casey Power or not. Yeah. You know, nobody. How could you know? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of funny because you think about like when Kate, you know, you said Casey was 120 pounds as a freshman. Like how many people recruited him at that age? You know? Right. (laughs) 